have a seat. That would be great. Welcome to the Vine. I'm Scott, one of the pastors here. And uh, we are in the middle of a series in Proverbs that we just started. We'll be going through the summer. Going to take two weeks off from that, but otherwise we'll be locking into the wisdom of God and what that has to say for us. Um, Now, there's a a new little favorite book I've read uh, recently called Discipling by Mark Dever. And he opens this little booklet on discipling by talking about this ongoing shift away from group identities, such as membership in clubs, civic organizations, or churches, to a more independent way of living, okay? So we're seeing this shift in culture. And uh, he quotes uh, Eric Klinenberg, the author of the book Going Solo, where he writes this, in 1950, only 4 million Americans lived alone, and they accounted for less than 10% of all households. Today, more than 32 million Americans are going solo. They represent 28% of all households. At the national level, more than 40% in cities, including San Francisco, Seattle, Atlanta, Denver, and Minneapolis. And nearly 50% in Washington, D.C. and Manhattan, the twin capitals of the solo nation. So in 65 years, okay, this is a pretty big deal, 65 years, we've gone from 4 million single-person households to 32 million. Okay, so that's, again, 28% of our country on a national level, 50% in some of our urban centers. It's even more pronounced in places like Stockholm, Sweden, where 60% of all households have just one occupant. I mean, that's interesting. That, that's crazy to think about that. This is massive shift. And so this, this trend towards an individualized culture, um, we see it in things other than these hard statistics as well. Just think about that experience where you're at a restaurant and you observe a table of friends or family, and what are they doing? Are they laughing and sharing conversation? Oftentimes not. They're looking at their smartphone, right? They're more plugged in to their uh, Snap story or Instagram stream than they are on conversing or connecting with one another. So there's this, this shift. And I share this because as the culture moves more and more in the direction of independence, it exposes really what I would say is a widening gap between the broader culture and the Christian narrative. You see, the entire direction of salvation history is to reverse the problem of sin, which by its very nature is antisocial. Okay, So not only has sin created brokenness in our relationship with God, but it's also created distance in our relationship with others. Think about these sins. Gossip, lust, greed, anger, bitterness. Think of any other selfish desire, and you can observe that it wreaks havoc on relationships, not only with God, but with others as well. And so those of you who... Grew up in the church, you're familiar with this, but the reality is that Jesus came to end the problem of sin. As God's son, he lived a perfect life. He died a death on the cross, taking upon himself the punishment that we deserved for sin. And he did so in order to give us a path towards reconciliation. Now, we don't often think of the Christian gospel this way. 
But think about it in these words. What Jesus did when he broke the power of sin is that he gave us a pathway from independence and isolation to dependence and reconciliation. Okay, now I know in our culture, dependence, it's almost a dirty word, right? I don't need to be dependent on anyone. But friends, it is the way that God designed us to live and flourish as people. A life of dependence. The Christian life is a dependent life. And that's ultimately what we're going to be focusing on today in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You can go ahead and turn there. Um, in these verses, we're going to learn how the path to peace and health requires us to actually turn away from independent living and toward dependence as we rest in God, as we totally trust him with our lives, our decisions, and our very purpose for living. So this is one of the top 10, probably most familiar verses in Christian communities. So we're going to dig in on this one. Follow along with me. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Let's pray uh, the blessing of the Lord on this now. Lord, we, we ask that you come, that you take your holy word, the very words that you have given, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to us, that we might relish in uh, the wonder and amazement of who it is that you are and how it is that you have imparted to us biblical wisdom. And pray, God, that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and understand what it is that you want us to know today about trusting in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I started uh, my college studies as an engineer, and I ended as a music major, okay? So uh, quite the little journey there. Uh, a lot of people have stories like that if you go to Iowa State, because a lot of people go there to be engineers and become something else. But anyway, so I, I went there, and uh, a part of the first few years of study, I took a lot of computer language classes. And uh, one thing that's true about computer language is this term that becomes very familiar to you, and it's this term called if-then statements, okay? An if-then statement, it's known as a conditional statement, which means quite simply, if you do A, then B will result. And an everyday example of this would be this statement, okay? Here's a, this will put it on everybody's level playing field here. If you don't get good grades in high school then you won't get into a good college, okay? No good grades in high school, not going to go to a good college. Now, I think that most of us would say, yeah, hey, that's a, that's a generally true if-then statement. But there are some exceptions, aren't there? Perhaps you're a really good athlete, and so it matters less how good your grades are. Or perhaps you have a mother or father who's donated a lot of money to the institution. And so, wow, magically, you somehow get in. And so, and so um, these are, there are rare exceptions, okay? So there are rare exceptions that invalidate the principle of an if-then statement. However, when it comes to this specific statement, every loving and responsible parent will tell their high school student, student to work on getting good grades in order to improve your odds to getting into a good university. Now, I share all that because what we need to understand about the book of Proverbs is that it's filled with if-then statements, 
many of which are described as the advice of a father, King Solomon, to his son. What this means is that similar to my previous example, the Proverbs are principles that are generally true. Okay, Though there can be exceptions to any if-then statement, these conditional statements, when followed, can help a person live according to godly wisdom. So, for example, in Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, if we live lazy like a sluggard, then poverty will come upon us like a robber. Or at the end of Proverbs 9, if you give yourself to the woman of folly like a prostitute, then it will lead to death, which means bad things will happen. Okay, it's got consequences. So generally speaking, the Proverbs give us this glimpse into godly and loving wisdom. They're not guarantees, though, but they are helpful statements that any loving parent should want to teach to their child. Now, in today's proverb, we're going to see an if-then statement, okay? There's three ifs and one then, all right? And here's what they are. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you lean not on your own understanding, if in all your ways acknowledge him, you acknowledge him, then he will make straight your path. And so today, we're going to explore it in those segments, uh, those if-and-then statements. So let's jump into the first one. Okay, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, this, uh, the original word in Hebrew that was translated into trust, it, it means leaning, okay? Like leaning on or even casting yourself upon another for your safety, for your help, for your protection. And I would argue that this theme of reliance on God, on trusting in God, that it's actually across the Bible, a value that represents the, the overall, as I said in the introduction, trajectory of Scripture. Now, I'm going to give you some examples, okay? We're going to rapid fire through some verses here. We see the instruction to trust the Lord in our circumstances in Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We see an invitation to trust the Lord with our fears in Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Okay, we're to trust the Lord as our provider. We see this in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, so we can trust God to provide for us. What about this? We're, we're invited to trust the Lord even with the future course of our life. Psalms 143.8, where it reads, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for I, in you, I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. And finally, for this very all-important issue of salvation from sin, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And what many may not realize is that that Greek word for faith could just as legitimately be translated into trust, which would read this way. 
For by grace you have been saved through trusting. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So our very salvation even, it comes from trusting. Now verse 5 of Proverbs 3 takes this picture of trust one step further even. Okay, It says, how are we to trust? We're to trust with all our heart. Okay, This means we're not to trust the Lord partially or mostly, but we're to trust him completely. Now, if all of us were honest, um, I think everyone could probably say this, there are areas in your life where in order to feel in control or protect ourselves from hurt, we tend to build these walls, okay? We tend to build walls to feel safe. It might be a wall of control or a wall of distance and isolation, whatever it may be. What I want you to see is that a life of dependence, according to Proverbs 3, 5, is a life without walls. It's a life of total trust, of complete vulnerability, of freely casting ourselves upon the Lord like a child jumping trustingly and lovingly into their parents' arms. And as we do this, we're totally trusting God for our life, for our protection, for our peace. Now, one of the fundamental reasons, I believe, that we struggle with discontentment in life is because of an, a perceived unmet need that keeps us from true happiness, from true trust. One way of exposing this is how we fill in this statement. I will be at peace only when blank. I will be at peace only when blank. And for some of us, we fill that blank in with everyday things like, I will be at peace only when my house is perfectly clean, or my children behave, or if you're single, perhaps it's when I'm married. Um, for some of us, there's what I'd call bucket list type items. I'll be at peace only when I run a marathon or climb a mountain or, I don't know, jump from a plane, something like, with a parachute on, of course. You'll eventually be at peace in some way if you don't have a parachute. But anyway, um, now, neither of these everyday desires or bucket list desires are bad in and of themselves. But when we've added conditions to our joy, then, then it's a, re- a revelatory experience. It reveals to us that we're trusting in God plus something else. So to trust in the Lord with all our heart is to say, Lord, you are all I need. Saying to God that though my body and my soul may fail, you, O Lord, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever, Psalm 73, 27. So to say it one more time, Proverbs 3, 5 teaches us that we're to trust in the Lord, not with part or most, but with all of our heart. And this leads us to the next if statement, okay? Again, in Proverbs 3, 5, that we're to lean not on our own understanding, Okay, and this idea to not lean on our own understanding, it suggests that our human wisdom is somehow lesser than God's. Okay, and this pronoun, own understanding, it emphasizes all the more that our individual understanding is somehow inadequate, that when left to ourselves, we really cannot be trusted, that we shouldn't lean on our own understanding because at some point, in some way, it will lead us astray. Now, in a city like Madison, 
where we pride ourselves on education and terms like self-actualization, the idea that our human understanding can't be ultimately trusted, that's probably very offensive to some. But you see what's being said here in Proverbs 3 is that there is nothing you can do from a human perspective, nothing you can achieve educationally that is going to make you fully trustworthy, even when it comes to the direction or purposes of your life. And this is a common understanding in Scripture. Let me give you a few examples of this. We see that the wisdom of God is superior to our own in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We see the wisdom of God is superior to our own planning. In Proverbs 16:9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Okay, when, when life is hard, okay, when it doesn't make sense, God is actually stripping us of self-sufficiency in order to teach us godly wisdom and joy. And we see this in uh, James 1, 2, and 5. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, to better understand, I want to illustrate for you this idea of trusting in our own understanding. And I'm going to do it at three different levels. Okay, we're going to look at it briefly at three levels. What it means to trust in our own understanding in relationships, in fears, and in beliefs. Okay, first, let's think about relationships. I can illustrate with my own life, unfortunately. But um, a few weeks ago, I was away at a conference, and uh, we have five kids. Uh, not Four of them are at home now. But anyway, I had a later evening conversation with my wife, Carrie, and we were both kind of tired. And it was in the midst of that conversation that I heard her say something that frustrated me. Okay? And then I spent the next few days developing my own if-then statements. If she said this, then she must have meant this. And if she meant this, then it must mean that. And on and on, my arguments developed and my frustration grew. By the time we actually spoke a few days later, one misunderstood statement became a hornet's nest of my own anxieties and their accusations and Ultimately, it required me to humble myself and confess my sin in that reality. But you see, in relationships, simple misunderstandings and offenses can quickly escalate as we rehearse those things in our mind. And this is why the Bible has some instruction for us. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, Ephesians 4.26, Right? Because when we leave conflict and offenses unaddressed, then we're, we're left to leaning on our own understanding. We never really truly know the intentions of the other person because we're just mulling and dwelling and escalating in our views. 
And this is also why the Bible encourages us in Titus 2 to have older men and women counseling younger men and women in matters of marriage because we all need help in better understanding the challenges that we face. We need to have the ability to hear some wisdom, godly wisdom from others encouraging us to frame our struggles in a godly and right way. So we've learned about Leaning, our own under, leaning on our own understanding in relationships. Let's think about it in terms of fears. Okay, think for a moment about your experience with fears. For many of us, fears are often rooted in some type of experience. Maybe we were rejected or we were hurt. And because of the sin framework in our mind, what we do is we protect ourselves perhaps by by taking those painful experiences and, like I said earlier, erecting walls or protecting or avoiding or or hiding. But what we don't understand is that those unaddressed fears contaminate our thinking, affecting our present and future relationships. I had a unique experience in this one. When I was early in years of ministry, I was running a music ministry in a church, and uh, there was a woman who was a friend and who I was very familiar that she was really, really deeply hurt by a father who was unloving and emotionally abusive, and it was a very, very difficult situation. And uh, I remember I, uh, she auditioned to uh, participate in a certain vocal group, and I said, no, it's just not a good fit for you. And she got very, very frustrated with me. And I had this unique kind of surreal experience where as she began to criticize and lay into me for that perceived rejection, I felt like she wasn't even talking to me. I felt like she was talking to her dad. And it was a very profound experience because I recognized in that moment that in my heart and in the hearts of people I love, there's a tendency to root ourselves in those experiences of rejection and that those thoughts begin to contaminate and affect our adult relationships, making us perhaps quickly defensive when there's any hint of disappointment that reminds us of that unaddressed issue. You see, left to our own understanding, our fears can lead us to believe lies, like I'm unlovable, or this world would be a better place if I weren't in it, or everyone is out to get me. And so Proverbs 3.5 informs us that when it comes to these fears, that we're not to lean on our own understanding because our understanding will betray us. And this is why Galatians 6, 2 instructs us to bear one another's burdens in love. Because we're going to be tempted to hear those things and believe them. And so we need to speak to those around us in this family of faith. We need to share, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. So that those who love us can bear those burdens and say, hey, brother, that is, that is a lie. That is just not the truth of God for you. So we're reminding one another of these deep realities. So we've thought about leaning on our own understanding in relationships with fears. What about with our views of God? Okay, I'm going to quote some atheists, okay? Listen to this. Carl Sagan, I don't want to believe, I want to know. Thomas Edison, what I have denied and what my reason compels me to deny is the existence of a being throned above us as a God, directing our mundane affairs in detail, regarding us as individuals, pushing us, punishing us, rewarding us as human judges might. 
or the wonderfully articulate Woody Allen? How can I believe in God when just last week I got my tongue caught in the roller of an electric typewriter? See, all all of these statements, they illustrate this, this idea that we're prone to limit God based on what we can reason and what we've experienced. And this isn't just a problem for atheists. It's a problem for Christians, too, because we're inclined to develop limited views of God because there are experiences in life or teachings in his word that just don't make sense to us. And in this, we need to be reminded of Proverbs 3, 5, that God's ways are higher than our, way, our ways. And from 1 Corinthians three nineteen that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, that God's far above our intellectual capacities, and that this is one, one of the very reasons that we're to trust in him. I mean, that's the whole reason we can worship him. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now as we apply this to our life, one, one com- uh, commentator Put this teaching in this light. He said, This teaching does not mean that we're to not use our own understanding, but that when we use it, we are to depend upon God and His directing and overruling providence. And so, as I mentioned in the previous examples, to lean on our own understanding as we process those fears and relationship and those beliefs can be harmful if we don't see it through the lens of God's counsel, his sovereignty, his purposes, and his will. So in what ways is God challenging you to not lean on your own understanding, to embrace this life of dependence? Dependence on God, dependence on his word, dependence on his people as you seek to understand and interpret the experiences of life. So we've seen how we're to trust the Lord in all our heart, how we're to not lean on our own understanding, and this leads to the final if statement. Okay? In verse 6, that in all our ways we're to acknowledge the Lord. Now the suggestion here is that we're to trust God, not in some things, not in most things, but in all things. In other words, we're to bring God's truth to bear in every aspect of our lives. And as with each statement this morning, we see this model throughout Scripture. Okay, we see that we're to bring everything, okay, all things to God in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's no better way to express dependence on God than to cry out to him for all things in prayer. We see trust in God and things as we bring godly meaning and purpose to the regular rhythms of our life. Deuteronomy 6, it gives us this picture of discipleship, okay? In the family, it shows that the way we do discipleship, it's not just, you know, in these planned devotionals with our kids, 
It says that we're to do discipleship in the everyday moments of life as we sit in our houses, as we walk along the path, as we lie down, and when we rise up. In everything, in all rhythms, we're to see God, express trust in God in those various experiences. 1 Corinthians 10.31 reads, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So to, to acknowledge God in all our ways is to see him actively working in all things. So that as we pray, as we disciple, whatever we do, we have this awareness of the presence of God. And we have an opportunity to exercise godly trust in every moment that we live. Okay, Abraham Kuyper He's got this famous statement that, that is, uh, gives us this picture of a global understanding of God's presence and purpose. And this is what he says. In the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which the Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare, that is mine. Point being, God is at work. We can trust him in the big and the little. So the life of trusting, it expresses dependence, it expresses an awareness of God in all of life. Now, many of you have jobs that require you to attend meetings, okay? Meetings, yeah. And sometimes uh, you're required to facilitate those meetings or perhaps present in those meetings. And it's no different in pastoral ministry. As a matter of fact, in pastoral ministry, it's very, very common. Most things we do are in the context of meetings. Now, the Lord has taught me something about trust in meetings, and let me explain. When it comes to meetings, in order to avoid getting nervous, what for years and years of my life I would do is I would obsess about planning every single detail. I had to have it all mapped out, every moment. And then we'd get into a meeting, and I'd spend my time wondering, did I just sound like an idiot? Am I wasting people's time here? And because of this, not only were the meetings that I led a ton of work to prepare for, but they wore me out emotionally. I was stressed out because I was carrying this emotional burden before, during, and even after those meetings. And so by God's grace in the past few years, he began to teach me uh, that, that I can trust him even in my meetings that I can worry less about what people think of me or about the integrity of my agenda, that I just bring my best and leave it to the Lord. Now, so I'm far from perfect in this area, okay? I'm not saying I've got it down, but I can say that overall I found that as I've learned to trust God in my meetings, I'm wasting a whole lot of, I'm wasting less emotional energy and focusing less on excessive, obsessive preparation. Let me tell you one of the cool things that's happened. Because I'm not so focused on my agenda, I actually can listen to people. I actually can be a more effective leader. I'm less concerned with what's being said. I'm said I'm more concerned with what's being said than how I'm perceived. So this is an act of trusting the Lord. Now, for some of you, it may not be meetings. Perhaps it's trusting God in your eating or trusting God in finances or trusting God in relationships. But the question is... In what areas of your life is the Lord inviting you to welcome him in? To trust in him as you release those areas to his life for his glory. Okay, every single part of our lives 
can be an exercise in trusting the Lord. So we've seen the three major if statements, okay? Trust in God with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him. And this leads us to the then statement, okay? The then statement is that as we do these things, he will, verse 6, make straight our paths. Now, as I was uh, preparing this point, I contacted the the Vines uh, chief resident in all things Israel, my friend Alan Byington, and uh, he actually kind of laid out some geographic realities that would inform this, this metaphor, this word picture to the original audience. And what we need to understand about ancient Israel is that the topography of the lands in which they dwelled was a combination of plains, valleys, hills, and wilderness. And uh, the road systems were really nothing like we enjoy today with this exception. There were, there were main kind of highways, and then there were articular uh, or, or arterial paths and roads that would then connect to those main highways. Now, the difference between then and today is, of course, those roads were maintained much less, and those side paths were maintained much less, meaning, meaning they were difficult to travel, often winding and filled with all sorts of obstructions. And in Numbers 20, you can read how Moses and the Israelites sought passage on the king's highway through Edom, knowing that it would make their journey much safer and much easier. And if, if you recall the story, the king of Edom, he refused passage, and he forced them to take a much longer, drier, more treacherous uh, route through the wilderness of Edom and Moab. And this was a devastating news for the people of Israel. Because the path that you took in those days could be the difference between days or months, feast or famine, or even life and death. And so with that ancient mindset, we can see how the straight path is, is a place of unbelievable blessing. Okay? To give you a quick uh, bit more meaning, consider how the metaphor crooked and straight path is used elsewhere in scriptures, okay? According to Isaiah 59.8, the crooked path is the way of sin. It's the way of independence, right? We've already talked about that. It speaks of the one whose actions are filled with selfishness. Quote, the way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. The reality is that sin and independence, it makes life really messy, really complicated. Our lives are radically more complicated when left to our own devices. Now, in contrast, look at this verse, Isaiah 43 through 5. So we read about the leveled path making the way of the Lord. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For those of you who know your Bible somewhat well, you might recognize some of those words because they were spoken in the Gospels by John the Baptist as he was preparing the way for Jesus Christ, the Savior to come. What I want to make clear here is that the crooked path is the path of sin and selfishness, and that the straight path is the path of deliverance and mercy. So the wrong way to view this conditional statement is that if you trust God, 
then you'll get rich. If you trust God, then you'll have an easy life. If you trust God, then you'll be successful. Because to think that way is to miss the entire metaphor and what it represents in Scripture. The reason we're to trust God is because as we rely and trust on God, it brings peace, it brings hope, it brings strength, even in the midst of horrible situations. Charles Spurgeon, he once uh, told this story of a ship that was caught by a great storm while at sea. Now, while everyone on the ship was in complete terror, knowing that the ship was in grave danger, there was this little boy passenger. And he was happy, he was even amused as the ship was tossed to and fro by the wind and waves. And when asked why he was so calm and happy, he replied, Well, my father is the captain, and he knows how to manage. The boy didn't think it possible that the ship could go down while his father was in command. His trust in his father gave him a peace and a confidence that could not be shaken even in the midst of of the storm. It's this kind of blessing, this kind of peace, this kind of confidence that is the reward of trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Now, to conclude, I want to just take a moment. I want to look at six different worldviews. Just going to take a moment with each one. But I want, that I think represent probably a great majority of you, okay? So I'm going to hit hopefully all of you with at least one of these as you try to process this. So the first worldview to the unbeliever, okay, to the one who doesn't follow Christ. If this is you, perhaps you're listening to this message and the idea of admitting your need for God feels risky. And yet I would challenge you, be honest with yourself. The weight of carrying the cares of the world the challenges of life, the weight of your own sin, it really is too much to bear. And my appeal to you is that the life of independence and self-sufficiency can only take you so far because you were designed by a creator to find forgiveness, to find strength, and to find hope in his love and care. So I challenge you today, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths by his grace and mercy. For those of you who are married, perhaps there's some of you, and I think this would apply to everyone at certain seasons in your marriage, but perhaps you're struggling in your marriage. There are tensions between you and your spouse that are getting harder to bear, and you're entertaining doubts like, can this ever really get any better? Married couple, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will give you hope. Not hope in the other person's ability to please you or meet your needs, but hope in the God who alone can unify and satisfy. To the singles in the room, perhaps there are some of you who are struggling with this very profound challenge emotionally of wrestling through singleness. You've been waiting for the Lord to provide that right person, and the wait at times seems unbearable. 
fears of never finding a spouse, deep feelings of loneliness. It's getting harder and harder to manage. The Lord's inviting you. Trust in him with your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him as he longs to give you the peace of his companionship and the love and support of your brothers and sisters who are part of your family, the family of God. For the parents, there are some of you in parenting, again, we all feel this at times, but some of you who are in the middle of dealing with disappointment. Perhaps your children have not turned out as you hoped. Perhaps you struggle feeling like a failure. You want desperately to make things better, but you feel like a victim of the circumstances that are beyond your control. But your heavenly Father is speaking to you now. Trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. And I'm going to give you the strength so that you can rest that I alone am the one who can change hearts as you release your children to my ultimate care. I will extend to you the peace and strength you need as you continue as a parent to sacrifice discipline and love. The next group, the disappointed, okay? This is a broad category. We've all been there. There are some of you who look at your life and think things like, I thought it would be better than this. You're disappointed. You're feeling discontentment. You're getting tired of waiting. And you may struggle feeling like a failure, unable to reach your dreams. And you're powerless to make things better. You may even be angry with God, feeling that he must be punishing you in some way because of past sin. And to you I say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will help you find rest in his loving arms. The secret to unlocking joy is not to calm the storm, but to trust the captain. And finally, to the successful. To the successful, okay? Some, some are seated here this morning, and life doesn't seem like it can get any better, okay? You're successful, all right? But the warning for you is this. You need to fight the urge to put your confidence or hope in the things that you've done or are doing. Though life, it may be good today, the day is going to come where you're going to face disappointment and hardship, okay? And God is telling you, trust in me with all your heart and lean not on all that seems to be going right today. In all your ways, don't take the credit for yourself, but acknowledge me as the giver of all that is good and I will make your path straight in the form of a humble joy that towers in comparison to the greatest of your successes. With that, let's pray together. Lord, we um, invite your word to speak to us in the midst of the various uh, experiences that we bring to bear on this word of truth. Lord, and I pray that it would not be a task or a burden for our soul as we think about these things, but it truly would be an invitation to ultimate freedom to ultimate lack of fear and vulnerability, for ultimate trust and release. Lord, that you might free souls today as we continue to think, I can trust God in this. I don't need to carry this burden on my own anymore. And I just pray for your work to be done in the midst of our hearts as we reflect on that truth in Jesus' name. Amen.